Well, last week we wrapped up a series called Signs, and we looked at, uh, in the Gospel of John, all the signs that Jesus gives us for true belief and recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're continuing with that idea, but we're entering into a new series, and it's called Zooming In on Discipleship. And we're really going to pick up where we left off last week, but we're asking uh, a question that's more for our whole church. Um, What is a disciple, and how do we make them as a church? So over the next five weeks, those are the questions that we'll be asking. So I thought I'd start off just with a thought. Um, The word disciple itself appears uh, about 250 times in the Bible, and um, Surprisingly, I found this surprising, it only appears one time in the Old Testament. The word disciple only shows up one time in the Old Testament. So do you want to hear where, do you want to hear that verse? Come on, I know you do. (laughs) So in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16, we have this, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. So even in that little passage, we can kind of see the prophecy of Jesus coming alive there. But uh, the idea of discipleship, though it's not stated in the Old Testament, it's definitely there, right? The word disciple is kind of the same word as discipline. And the idea of discipline is certainly in the Old Testament. And the idea of following God is there. I mean, Abraham followed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The word disciple, it literally means apprentice or follower or, or pupil or student. So if you're a disciple, that means you're an apprentice of someone. And in the Bible, it's used primarily to describe the group of those that follow Jesus. In fact, uh, of the 250 times that it appears, almost all of those are in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Acts, it says in Antioch that the the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in Paul's writings and Peter's and James, they don't use the word disciple like it's used in the Gospels. So if we think about what a disciple is and how to make them, um, the obvious place to start is to look at Jesus and the way that he discipled. In fact... uh, It's almost like the idea of discipleship can't exist without the earthly example of Jesus and his life here on earth. So that's what we're going to look at today. So you could say that Jesus made the first disciples, and of course he did it perfectly, right? But how did he do it? And, you know, even as we step back and we think about, in a very short time, in three or four years, Jesus selected a group of men to follow him, and we know from all the stories that, that these were not the men that we might have expected um, to lead a kingdom movement. And yet these were the men that Jesus selected to be his disciples. And then he invites them close. And over the course of three years, there's just this up and down, this kind of rocky road that, that they have together. Um, at times they deny him. At times they uh, listen to him. At times they go out in power and they're living in his power And it's a really dynamic expression of how the disciples come to life over the course of those three years. And that's a lot of what the Gospels give us, is how the disciples are made and then what they're called to at the end. 
In fact, at the end, uh, after Jesus rises again, it says that he gives all, all of his authority that he received from the Father, he gives it to the disciples. And he says to them, go and make disciples. It's the call of the church to go and make disciples. And yet the word kind of disappears um, out of the storyline of the, the life of Jesus. But it's still the call of the church, and it's still demonstrated throughout the Bible. Just imagining for a second and role-playing yourself as a disciple, um, how did the challenge of being a follower of Jesus just not overwhelm you on a daily basis if you're a disciple? And we know from the stories that it, it actually did. They felt pretty overwhelmed a lot of the time. Because the call to be a disciple is a hard one. You can turn to Luke chapter 9 if you have a Bible. Luke is the third gospel that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we'll be in uh, chapter 9. And we're starting with one of Jesus' hardest statements. Jesus, a lot of times in his ministry, he had this way of just saying so much in one little verse. And the verse that I'm going to read to you, the sentence that I'm going to read to you, is an example of this. And it's one of the sentences that describes um, the life of a disciple. Listen to this. So this is in Luke chapter 9, and I'll read verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, it's no surprise that the disciples felt overwhelmed all the time when Jesus would say things like this to them. I mean, imagine if you were with him and he said this to you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I'd like to back up and, and just look at the storyline of where Jesus says this, because I think it'll help us um, see what it really means even more fully. So if we back up to the beginning of chapter 9, and we'll work our way back to this verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And as I read this, I want us to be thinking about uh, these familiar stories that we have in this chapter. But I want us to think about specifically how is Jesus making disciples in this chapter? What, what are the things that we can see? Not only what is he making, but how is he making them? Verse 1. And he called the twelve together. And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. So basically he was just saying, you should have one tunic. You should go out with the tunic that you're wearing. This is like the undergarment, but don't even take a bag with you. Don't even pack like an extra set of clothes. And whatever house you enter, stay there 
and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they do this. It says that they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. First thing we see is that Jesus, he called the 12 together, and it says that he gave them power and authority. And then in verse 2, he sends them out to do two things. He says, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. And this, this is far enough along in the disciples' ministry that this is one of the first times that they are being sent out uh, from Jesus with his power and authority to go do what he's already been doing in their lives, proclaiming the kingdom of God, that it's here. So this is what they do. They go out. They actually are obedient. And it says at the end in verse 6, we don't have much, but we know that they came back um, after they had preached the gospel and healed. Let's skip down to verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And this is like one of those moments where the disciples are high-fiving and they come back. They're just excited. I mean, they saw Jesus Jesus' power and authority at work in their life. They were proclaiming the kingdom and they were healing people. And you can just kind of feel the traction, like we've been following this man. And you can just imagine that, wow, we're actually, he's actually giving us the power and authority that we thought he only had. Look what happens in verse 10 again. So they returned, the apostles tell him all that they had done. And he took them and he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus wanted to kind of take his disciples and be with them. But when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus wanted to withdraw with his disciples, but the crowd followed and Jesus had compassion on them, and he, he invited the crowd to come along. It says that he continued to proclaim the kingdom of God with them and to continue to heal them. So he's continuing to model what he's asking his disciples to do. And we, we kind of know this story, right? The day wears away. The 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away. It's the end of the day. They need food. They need to go home to their own villages and fend for themselves is, is basically what they were asking. Um, this is one of the signs of Jesus that we just looked at recently. And I love the way Jesus challenges them. Look at what he says in verse 13. You give them something to eat. And as I looked at this, one of the things that I found striking in terms of the way that Jesus is making disciples I've always thought, like, how could he ask them to feed them? I mean, they, they gathered the food. They only had a little bit. And yet he just sent them out with his power and authority to heal. And now he's saying, you feed them. And I really believe Jesus was challenging these men to something that they could actually do in his power and authority. And they say, we can't. And to me... This is a great, right here is a great description of the disciples' life, and maybe the Christian's life. If you consider yourself a believer in Christ, if Jesus is, if you see him as the Messiah, the King, 
and you're following him in life. There's days where we, we go out in the Lord Jesus' power and authority. It's God's working in our life. And we're, we face hard things and we overcome them in the strength of the Spirit of God. And then, like the next day or maybe the next hour, Jesus asks us to do something hard, like you feed them. And we say, God, I don't have the power to do that. That's not what I signed up for. And that's what's happening here. We know the rest of the story. It's interesting. Jesus uh, asked the crowd to sit down, and then he uh, performed a sign, a miracle. And then he, he actually had the disciples pass out the food. So when he said, you feed them, they actually did end up feeding them. But he had to get involved, right, to make it happen. Now, right after this, in verse 18, it says that it happened that he was praying alone. The crowds had left, but the disciples were still with him. And the crowd was still on Jesus' mind, and he, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. As Jesus was discipling these men, uh, he invited them close enough that they actually could recognize who he was. This is one of the most clearest confessions of who Jesus is as the Christ, the Messiah. This passage, the same story is recorded in, in Matthew and Mark in much the same way. And then Jesus tells them something really hard in verse 21. It says, He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, a lot has just happened. Um, the disciples went out with authority, the power of Jesus. They lived in it. They came back. They were challenged. They sort of failed. Um, Jesus modeled it again. And as the crowd left, he said, who do you think I am? And they recognized him as the Messiah And they've come to this recognition that Jesus, the Messiah, is with them. The king of the world that that the people of God have been waiting for all these years. And they know it. And then he tells them, for the first time, he tells them of the death that he's going to die. He said, now that you know who I am, I want you to know that all the elders all the people of God, the scribes, the priests, they're going to reject me, and I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. It's the first time in Scripture that, that Jesus reveals to his disciples that he's going to die. So what do they feel at this point? It's hard to say. Um, but it's, it's at this moment in time that Jesus lays out for them what a disciple is in verse 23. 
And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I just want to take a few minutes just to add some thoughts to this statement. It's, like I said earlier, it's such a big sentence, even though it's small. Um, there's, it's such a rich statement about what a disciple is, and it's one of the hardest statements in all the Bible. But I've been thinking about it a lot, and there's a few things that I find interesting. First of all, it says that he says to all, and we don't know who he said this to. We know the disciples were there. He might have just said it to all the disciples. But he says it to all that can hear, that if anyone, if anyone, Jesus, the king of the world, shows up on the earth. And it, it could have gone this way. It could have gone this way. Jesus could have shown up to the world and basically said, I am the king of the world. You all are going to follow me. This is the way it's going to be. I'm the king of the world. But he didn't. He said, if anyone would follow me. You almost, we almost get the sense that, like, who's going to follow Jesus? And yet he's the king. If anyone would come after me. I've been reading this book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I'm at that stage in life where a title like that captures my mind and my thoughts and that's, I need, I need a book that talks about a long obedience in the same direction. So I picked it up. It's, it's a reflection of the Psalms of Ascent. And in the book, it just describes what it's like to be on a pathway walking toward God, with God alongside. And there's a nice quote in the book that kind of strikes on the idea of what a disciple is and how that connects to another idea that we are on a road headed alongside with God, but we're going to God. Listen to this. It says, For recognizing and resisting the stream of the world's ways, there are two biblical designations for people of faith that are extremely useful, disciple and pilgrim. Disciple says that we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master Jesus. Pilgrim tells us we are people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. As we come after Jesus, we are on a narrow path. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are on a narrow path that much of the world is not on. And though there's not spears in our faces like there are, have been in the past for some followers and maybe still are today in some parts of the world. Um, as we walk this narrow path that leads to life, I think we all feel the resistance as we try to live this way in God's strength. I mean, if I could state it, I would kind of say it's like this, that as we go through life and when we hit those moments of describing actually what our faith is and what we're doing, People say, really? Really? That's, that's who you're following? 
that's what you're giving your life up for? You know, in every few years, Jesus or a version of Jesus shows up on the face of Time magazine, and we get into it with our coworkers at work, and we say, yeah, but it's this, it's really this way. And we, we have this resistance to fully engaging into a life that follows after Jesus. And not only is there a resistance, but it's just, it's just ordinary, right? The pilgrim life of walking with Jesus at times and many times feels ordinary. This, about a week ago, I fell down the steps. And you can laugh. I know you want to. And I live to tell about it. I'm fine. But I fell down a few steps, and, and I was just thinking, well, my, well, my first thought was, ah, oh, this is so humiliating, and like, I can't believe I just fell down the steps. So I look around, and my kids are there, of course. So, uh, so I'm kind of embarrassed at first, and then I'm like, all right, why did this happen to me? And I, I start to look around for a toy, because I know that there's got to be a toy somewhere that I can blame this on. And you know what? I look down, and my phone is in my hand. And, and I, I just, you have this, like, epiphany. I was just reading my email as I walked down the steps. Like, who, whose fault is it that I fell down the steps? And it's at those instances that we try to reconcile a moment like that with the fact that we are a pilgrim following in the way of Jesus. And yet, so many of our minutes and hours feel very ordinary. So Jesus answers with three actions. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The idea of denial in our lives is one that that we learn from Jesus. He lived a life of denial. And it's something that we try to live our own lives. And I'll just start kind of here with the idea of denial. I'll preach to the kids in the room, okay? So if you're a kid, you can listen up. Uh, in our house, we have a saying at the dinner table, and it's, it's just brilliant. I mean, it actually came into our house through one of our cooler, you know, my coolest nephew and and it's a, st- a saying that, that happens at our dinner table that uh, is going to live on for generations. And it's this, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. Right? That's what we say in our house. And, um, and you know, we try to teach our children that, hey, this is the, the dinner table before you, this is the food, and you get what you get, and you don't get upset. And that's just the way it is. And, wow, if, if we adults could get that, that would be quite amazing. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Now, that's a simple example of denial. But I think what we can see in that is, is any denial in life is somewhat a reflection of the way that Jesus lived. So anything, even small, still has value. And the concept of denial that's in this verse is setting something down to pick something else up that's not necessarily more desirable, at least the way it's stated. So you deny yourself, you set aside something in your life so that you might take up your cross daily. Remember when Jesus said this, it was pre-cross. The cross has not happened yet. Um, 
this may be the first time that they hear about the concept of that Jesus may, may die on a cross. I mean, the idea of a cross was certainly present in their lives. The cross represented death. So when you deny yourself and you take up your cross daily, um, you're following after Christ, and you, there's something in you that's dying on a daily basis. But as I've been thinking about it, um, there's some other interesting aspects. I mean, Luke is the only writer that notes Jesus' word daily. In Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8, Jesus says the same thing. But Luke notes for us that Jesus said daily, pick up your cross. So even Jesus was using it as a metaphor for life, that every day we would pick up this metaphorical cross in our lives. And just as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking, what does the cross represent? It's, it's easy to go down the path of the cross represents defeat, but it doesn't, it represents power. And it may wound us and hurt us and kill the flesh, but the cross is what Christ used um, to put the principalities to shame and have power over death. In Colossians 2, chapter 15, Scripture says that Jesus on the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. The third thing that Jesus tells us to do is follow him. And this is where the life of a disciple is modeled after the life of Jesus. And he kind of answers how to do this in the next verse, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And Jesus was uh, sharing with the disciples this idea that to follow after him, we need to lose our lives to find them. In closing, I, I feel like, you know, there's this phrase, what in the world? Like, what in the world does this statement mean in real life? How do we actually live this out? And I gave you a few reflections from the scripture. Um, but I do believe that Jesus, in his whole life, modeled something for us that then came into play with the disciples that we, in turn, need to live out ourselves. A few years ago, I uh, went away on a retreat, and it was a worship retreat. But one of the tools of discipleship that we started to investigate um, was just a way to think about Jesus' model of discipleship. And I'd like to share it with you, and there will be a diagram that will pop up. And for me, this 
this is the, the part of the sermon where uh, this may be helpful or it may not be helpful. It's trying to reflect biblical truth um, with a concept or an idea. But this chart displays um, G- the way Jesus modeled discipleship. And it, it kind of describes environments or cultures of discipleship. And I think it really relates both to us individually and also to the church. So let me walk through it, and then you can take or leave it. But um, the bottom left quadrant describes the reality of a boring discipling culture. So we've all heard, right, church is boring. I mean, that's just like, that's in the fabric and the DNA of the way people think about church. Church is boring. Well, church is boring when there's low invitation and low challenge. What that means is there's low invitation to come near God. Like, God is not worth the time and effort to come near. There's, there's no value seen in that. And not only that, but there's no challenge on the table. There's, no, uh, there's nothing put out there that this is, this is a good way to live, or this is, this is a way that a group of people can get together and do something valuable. When neither of those things exist, it's just boring, and, and apathy kind of creeps in. And we've all seen groups of people kind of act like this. Like, they don't highlight uh, that, that God is worth being invited toward, nor do they call people to live it out in a, in a challenging way. So that'd be low invitation and low challenge. That's the quadrant you don't want to be in. <laughs> And then there's uh, the next one above it is this consumeristic environment or consumeristic culture where um, there's high invitation. It's like, hey, let's, let's all come near to God. Let's be invited into his presence. Let's, let's draw close to the beauty of who God is. But let's not, let's not really take seriously any component of the challenge to take up our cross daily. So this would be kind of a consumeristic environment where people feel cozy and we may feel good together, but when we go out, we're not sure what we're going out to do or to be. And then the bottom right-hand quadrant is the stressful quadrant, which I think we can all relate to. And this, in this area, there's, there's a high challenge, right? Like you've got to come, you've got to be part of what's happening here. We're going to ask you to do a lot. Um, you're going to get a lot of benefit out, that, out of that. You're going to do a lot. Um, but we, we underestimate the value of abiding in Christ or remaining in Christ or coming near, being invited um, to who Jesus really is. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this would be a culture where that, that idea is forgotten. And that leads to stress and being discouraged. And, and then anger can creep in toward God and toward other people. And the top right quadrant is a discipling culture. And, of course, we can say Jesus did this the best. And, and I really believe it. The way that Jesus discipled, he modeled something that in our humanity is very difficult to, to accomplish. He was highly inviting so he gave the disciples full access to who he was. He said, you want to know who I am? And he, he revealed it fully to the disciples. And they actually came close to him. 
And then at the end, he said, remain in me as I remain in you. And not only that, but he called them, and he, he was very high in the challenge that he gave his disciples. And when those two ideas come together, uh, the disciples were challenged not to do things in their own strength, but they were challenged to live out their true identity as disciples in the power and authority of Jesus. And because they had full access to him, uh, they knew how to do this. I think this is helpful just to evaluate our own lives. And for me, I can kind of do the full circle of all of those boxes on any given day, right? Um, there are days when our faith in God feels boring, right? We're not, not only do we not know what to do for God, we're, we're just not even feeling close to God. We don't feel like we have access to who he is. And it's at times like that that we do need to go back to a John 15 and remember that we are the branches and we need to be grafted into the vine and that the Father is, takes care of the vine. And then there are other times where we just feel stress, stressed out. We just go, 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 and we do, do, do. And we, we, we forget that... Um, as we go and do, we need to continue to remain in Christ and live, live that component out. And then I've had seasons where I just feel really close to God, but I'm not sure what I'm doing for him or how I'm doing it. And, you know, this would be like those times where you just want to get close to God and, you know, you want to sit with Jesus by the fire and, you know, abide with him. But if we're not careful, if that's the only place that we live, then, then we're just going to want to take a nap by the fire, you know, because it is, it's such a cozy place to be with Jesus. But if we see um, the idea that not only are we being invited to a high call, but we're called to a great challenge to follow after the Lord, then, it's, then we can kind of balance those things. Another helpful way to think about this is we all gravitate toward invitation or challenge. So you, you may be a really inviting person to be around. And you say, hey, come close. You know, you, you let people know who you are. You don't hide who you are. You don't hide your failures or weaknesses. And you, you just invite people. And, and that's great. That's one of the gifts that God has given you. But you may, you may just need to challenge people and challenge yourself to follow God. Or maybe you're the kind of person that you're just, I mean, you have all these great ideas for what people could become, and you, you, they're always going to feel challenged by you. And that's great, too. That's one of the ways that God has wired you. But, but to do this fully, you may need to really invest in becoming a more inviting disciple of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus did. He invited his disciples in a way that actually made them want to follow him and want to die for him. And this is a hard teaching, but I do believe that we can apply it. I mean, Jesus sends us out with power and authority to do the works of God in his name. And we as a church and as a campus are called to go and make disciples. And over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to ask. As a campus... What are we making and how are we making it? And then what is 
our role as individuals in that as a campus. So um, as an encouragement, I would like you to dwell on this verse daily this week. So just, you know, I really believe that the Lord will reveal things to you through his word. 923, like how long would it take you just to even read that each day this week? A second, and then meditate on God's word and allow the spirit of God to continue to speak into your life as you go out and you're challenged to follow him. So, amen to the preaching and teaching of God's word. It's so good in our lives. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're thankful for your word and the way that it just comes close. Lord, and we thank you that your son Jesus discipled in a way that was repeatable, that the disciples that that Jesus stood up, that God, when he transferred his authority to them, that they were released in his power and authority, and that then the Holy Spirit came on them, Lord, and amazing things happened in the life of the church. And we believe, Lord, that this is continuing today, that you continue to be at work in us as your disciples and followers. Lord, and for those of us that just, this is, feels beyond us. Lord, as we just come around your word, I pray that you would continue to be tender and gracious with us, Lord, and show us what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow you through our Savior, Jesus. God, we love you, and we want to give you this day, and we want to give you all the glory in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name.